The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. The Emperor Penguin, the tallest and heaviest of all penguins, is indigenous to the coldest place on Earth, Antarctica. With temperatures reaching as low as 40 below zero, the only chance of survival for these individual penguins is to huddle together with its community. As the temperature drops, emperors will begin to move with intentional purpose. Slowly, all in the group will start to converge on a single point until a giant huddle forms. As those on the outside suffer the brunt of the cold, those on the inside take tiny orchestrated steps that move the group in waves. The tightly packed huddle shifts and rotates from the center so all can stay warm. By constantly keeping on the move, no penguin is permanently left out in the cold. So love the uh, video of penguins in the cold when we're enjoying the summer heat. And uh, the challenge though is what does it mean to live uh, against the elements? And so how do these penguins survive against these treacherous elements of frigid cold? And there's something interesting about the way that they, they uh, take turns taking on the hit of these horrible temperatures and they kind of share the pain and share the suffering. And yet for us, most of us, our instinct is to look out for ourselves to look out for what's best for us to meet our needs. In essence, we live focused on surviving, driven by our own selfishness. And where does that get us in life, right? And when we, so when we focus on our own selfishness, we wanna take care of ourselves, we wanna meet our needs, we wanna be in control, but often that means we're not thinking about how that impacts others. We're not, we're not shielding the cold wind from anybody else. We're not doing our part to protect the whole. And so as a result, when we meet our needs, we take care of ourselves. It's all about me. And you know, let's be honest, most of our issues with other people is because we're trapped in a thinking that we think our life is all about me. And you think about the most recent maybe conflict you had with somebody you love, it was because maybe your selfish instinct rose up and you got a little frustrated because they wanted their way and you wanted your way and so there was some trouble there. And where does that get us? So let's go to an extreme example of what happens when we give into our most base selfishness and instinct to survive. In the 1920s, Al Capone, uh, the notorious mobster, nearly ruled the city of Chicago. And the way he kind of got away with this, because obviously the authorities were after him, uh, was, you know, he had great legal help. So here's a guy who is most known for his bootlegging booze, right, prostitution and rampant murder. And what he did was he employed uh, a brilliant attorney who defended him in court. His name, his nickname was Easy Eddie. 
Easy Eddie was a genius at law, and so he would constantly get Al Capone off the hook, getting him, literally, he got away with murder. And as a result, Easy Eddie had the life. In essence, you could say he was the epitome of living to survive, right? Because he's surviving among the most dangerous elements in society, driven by a selfishness, which led him to own a mansion in the middle of Chicago that took up an entire city block. He had everything you could possibly imagine. I mean, he had the good life. I mean, he had the best life you could imagine as far as uh, what you want in this life. Uh, he, he did, however, have uh, a little soft spot. So here's this mobster's lawyer who's got this little soft spot, his son. And uh, he, even though he worked for the mob and, you know, got Al Capone off of murder, let him get away with murder, uh, he did want what was best for his son. And so, you know, of course, he gave him the best. He had the nicest clothes. He had a great lifestyle. He had live-in care. He, went, he had the best education. And as he got older, he had the nicest cars. And, um, but, but what happened was, Easy Eddie, as, he, as his son's growing up, he, he literally is trying to, so this, you can read it yourself and go read some of the biographies of this, he gets to a place where he realizes, I want my son to know the right way to live. And so he's trying to teach his son the right way to live while being an attorney for the mob. And this creates some, some challenge and some conflict and some, obviously you can imagine some internal tension for him because there's two things that uh, Easy Eddie couldn't provide for his son, a good name and a good example. And isn't that exactly what selfishness and our instinct to survive robs us of? We don't have the ability to hand to anyone a good example, nor do we have a good name that we can pass on because it's all about me, it's all about what I want, it's all about my own instincts. And even though you can give stuff and you can lavish on them, you can't set a good example. So is there a better way to live? Maybe a little bit more like the penguins. Is there a way that I can discover my part and discover my place where I take my turn in suffering and enduring hardship in order to shield others from pain. And, and so I'm gonna bring you back to 538 BC. Okay, you get that? We're going back a long time ago, about 2,600 years. 538 BC, the nation of Israel had been in exile for nearly 70 years. So if, you, if you've been following along with this sermon series, you know that the nation of Assyria was the world power in 722 BC. They came in and they conquered Israel. What was left was the portion called Judah. Then Babylon came to world power. They conquered Assyria and then they marched in and they conquered what was left of Judah. They brought the people from Judah to Babylon and, and made the wealthy, the nobles, the, the educated uh, servants of the king. Four of them were standouts. Uh, their names were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and they became servants to the king. One of them uh, eventually writes a book about his experience and kind of his journey and relationship with God while their nation is in exile. That book is included in the Bible. It becomes known as the book of Daniel. It's the writings of Daniel during this time where they're in exile. Now, imagine here's Daniel, and now 70 years has passed. But what's cool is this, there was, if you ever watch those movies where there's like a whisper that a hero is coming, maybe you like, you know, the Avengers or something, there's like this whisper like, hey, there's a hero that's going to rise up. Well, during, during the time of the exile, there are whispers from prophets of Judah that God is going to rescue the people after 70 years 
of exile. And so Daniel, it's getting close. We're like maybe a year, months away, and Daniel starts to have hope that he's gonna, that the nation of Israel is gonna be rescued and restored back to their uh, sovereignty. But he's fighting against some instincts. He's fighting against some elements of others who are out to destroy him. And that's where our story is going to pick up. Imagine this old man. Um, he's, I mean, he could be close to 90 years old. And he has survived the exile. And here he is getting ready to be promoted. There's been another um, turnover in the, in the global uh, powers. Now there's a new nation. It's not so much uh, Babylon as much as the Medes and the Persians. And so a new king is ruling and Daniel is ready to be promoted to being second in command to the king. But some peers are looking out for their own instincts. They want to survive, and so they're driven by a selfishness to trap Daniel. And so this is where our story's going to jump in. In Daniel chapter, here we go. You guys ready? Daniel chapter 6. So these guys come, and they could, it says this, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, imagine that that was what could be said of any of us. You want to survive against the elements? May that be what's said about you. That there's no corruption in you, you're trustworthy, and there's nothing corrupt about you, nor are you negligent in your work habits. Man, that's fantastic. Finally, these men said, here's how we're going to trap him. We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So what they do is they go to the king and they say, you know what, king, you're amazing. I mean, you, if people come to you, you give them whatever they want. You take care of the people. You should make a rule, a law that no one's allowed to pray to any other God. They, if they're going to pray, they have to come pray to you for like a week. And the king, you know, his pride gets a little, he's like, hey, that's a great law. I like that. And so, and they said, in fact, if anybody does it, they have to die. That sounds a little extreme, but the king is like, eh, all right. And, and in fact, they're going to die by being chucked in a lion's den. You see the, okay, so here's what happens. Daniel gets word of this law. And here's, here's how the story continues. Here we go, Daniel chapter 6. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows, with the windows open toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went out as a group and they found Daniel praying and asking God for help. What an incredible story. Maybe you've heard this story before. Maybe you grew up in church and you kind of heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den. I read it to my son, Daniel, when he goes to bed at night. I've read this story to him multiple times. I'm like, hey, that's your name. And uh, we talk about, you know, him getting, Daniel getting thrown in the lion's den. We're like, no, we don't want that. Um, but, you know, this is kind of a common popular story. And often, though, we miss kind of the point. You, you thought the whole point was that God rescued Daniel from the lion's den. So I just gave away the kind of punchline that Daniel does. So the king says, that's right. You're, you know, I can't change the rules. The king loved Daniel. The king was ready to promote Daniel to second command, but he had made a law. He can't break his own laws. He can't just let Daniel off the hook. And so Daniel gets chucked in the lion's den. And as you might imagine, Daniel somehow, I'll get to the point in a little bit, he gets rescued from the lion's den. He actually survives the night, stay in the pit with a lion. And you might think that the moral of the story is that when you end up in a lion's den, God will rescue you. But that's not the point. 
The point, the principle that transcends 2,600 years is that most of us live our lives just to survive. And we look out for ourselves and our instinct of selfishness drives us to look out for our needs and to be in control. But Daniel is willing to acknowledge that God is in control and he's willing to go and pray even when he knows it will cost him his life. His faith is so real and his devotion to God is so passionate that he knows that when he goes to his room with his windows wide, he doesn't close the closet door and hide. He opens his windows wide so anybody can hear him. He bows down and he prays to his God. And it's going to cost him his life, and he knows it. And he ends up getting dragged to the lion's den, and he gets thrown in. And the point is this. Daniel understood something that we need to understand. When the instinct of our life is to fight for our own selfish desires, when our instinct is to survive, we need to be reminded of this principle. Life is not about me. In fact, I, I want to encourage you at each of our campuses right now, I want you to say this with me. Life, Life. is not it's about me. Look, here's the deal. If, we, if you and I could get that, it would change our entire existence. This would radically transform how you live. This would change how you work. It would change how you relate in your marriage. It would change how you relate to other people. It would change how you handle money. It would change how you drive. It would change how you make decisions. When you and I begin to understand that our life is not about me, it changes everything about every aspect of our life. So why is this so hard? Because there is a core instinct in every one of us. We're, most of us live our lives more like Daniel's enemies. If somebody's in our way, we're going to do whatever it takes to get them out of our way. If they're going to get the promotion instead of me, then I'm going to do what it takes to prove that I'm a better man, even if it costs them. Why? Because you and I have an instinct of selfishness that was created by sin. Sin is a spiritual drive inside of us. So it's not in our mind, it's not in our emotions, right? Selfishness could be more of a, a, a desire, more of a willful thing, but this is something deeper because it comes from our spiritual being, which is separated from God, right? So because of sin, we are cut off from relationship with God and this sin spiritual instinct drives us to selfishness. It drives us to look out for ourselves. It drives us to want to fight, to survive against all odds. We look out for ourselves. And the result of selfishness that's created by sin is we hurt each other. We live like Easy Eddie, doing whatever it takes to, to take care of ourselves, but it destroys our good name. And it destroys our ability to live a good example. It destroys our ability to say to our son, hey, you can follow me. L live the way I'm living and I'm going to give you a good name, right? It wrecks our lives. And the worst part of sin is that it leads to an eternal ruin. Because when we separate ourselves from relationship with God through sin, our life is headed to a forever judgment. But God was unwilling to leave you and I on a life course of ruin driven by sin, driven by instincts and desires that will wreck our lives. So God intervened. Now, I want to bring you quickly back to the story of Daniel, and then I'm going to connect the dots for you. Check this out. So Daniel's thrown into uh, the lion's den. 
And in fact, um, listen, so I'm just going to read a part to you. Check this out. The king said to Daniel, so he's getting thrown in. May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Does this remind you of anything? This moment? Maybe some of you, you're starting to connect the dots real quick. So Daniel, he didn't do anything wrong. And he, he, they plot against him. He's thrown in a, in a den. And then they roll a rock over it. And it's sealed by the edict of the king. And then somehow, the next morning, he's alive. And he emerges out of the den. Right? Sounds a little bit like Jesus, who came to earth. Right? Jesus is better than Daniel. Jesus did not deserve to die. Jesus took on our sin. When he went to the cross, he didn't die because he deserved to die. He died because we deserve to die. He took our collective sin judgment on himself so that when he died on the cross, he died in your place and in my place. He died once for all so that anyone who believes in Jesus is forgiven of sin, guilt and shame removed, and you're given new life. How are you given new life? Because when you believe in Jesus, you believe that he not only died in your place, but his body was taken off a cross. He was buried in a tomb. A rock was rolled in front of that tomb, and it was sealed by the edict of Rome, by the emperor. And they locked him in. But the tomb couldn't hold him. Three days later, the angel rolls back the stone, and Jesus steps out alive. Because he, he had the power to rise from the dead because sin couldn't hold him. Death couldn't keep him. He conquered the grip of sin. He conquered the power of death. And he set us free from eternal judgment. So when you believe in Jesus by faith, you're not only forgiven, but you're given new and forever life. God's spirit enters into your spirit and you become truly and eternally alive. Look, it doesn't matter what's going on in your physical body. When you believe in Jesus by faith, God's spirit is in you, giving you eternal life. And so this picture of Daniel is a little bit of a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do hundreds of years later. Okay, so let's jump back to the story. I love this picture where it says, so that his situation could not be changed. I love the moments when you go against your instinct to survive. When you stand up against selfishness and it seems like your fate is sealed. And when everyone around you says that situation can never be changed, God has a way of changing impossible situations. God has a way of stepping in when everyone else says it can't be changed. God has a way of changing it. But how? What is it going to require of you and me? To find ourselves in a den with hungry lions going to start like this. If my life is not about me, then I have to recognize that my life is not my own. Would you take a moment and maybe write this down? Maybe just type it in your smartphone or put it right on social media. My life is not my own. If my life is not about me, then I have to recognize that my life is not my own. I don't own my life. Selfishness comes from a belief that I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my ship. 
My life is for me. My, my life is for what I want and what I can get out of it. My life, like Easy Eddie, is about me. But when I recognize that Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose again to give me new life, well, that new life means he's purchased me from death and sin. Now he's given me his life. When I have his life in me, my life is not my own. It's his. Look, you can live for yourself. You can do what you want, driven by your own agenda, driven by your own desires, and it's going to hurt you, and it's going to hurt those around you, and it's going to destroy what is best for your life. That's what sin does. But when I repent of my lifestyle of sin and the desires that will lead me to my own ruin, when I receive forgiveness of my sin through faith in Jesus and God's spirit enters into my spirit, what his spirit does is it transforms me, he purchases me, and now I surrender the deed of my life to God. Look, this is essential. This is critical. I, I, I wish actually I could have each of you kind of like hold your hands like this and then just say, God, I give you the deed of my life. Look, if I, if I own the deed to my house, I could paint the, the house whatever colors I want. I can... I can tear down that wall and put a new wall in. I can renovate that bedroom. But if I don't own it, if I'm renting it, I have to go ask for permission. Look, when, when you surrendered your life to Jesus, you gave God full control of your life. You yielded that survival instinct and that selfishness to God. And you now say, God, you're in control. It's whatever you want in my life. My life is yours. My life is not my own. I give my life back to you. I surrender my life to you. Think about what Daniel did. Like, so you gotta follow this story here. I love this moment. Daniel hears word that his king, his friend, had passed a law that the only way you're gonna pray is if you go and pray to the king. You are not allowed to pray to your God. Daniel's first instinct, his first response is to immediately go home, open up his windows, kneel down and pray to his God. Now look, I'm a, I gotta give a little bit of a disclaimer here. As Jesus followers, those of you who surrender your life and faith to Jesus, you have a responsibility to submit to those in authority over you. You, you submit to law enforcement, you submit to your, the governing powers, you submit to your boss, you honor those with authority, except when they demand that you do something that violates your relationship with God. This is the only time. If, if they're demanding that you do something that contradicts what God is asking you to do, now please be careful here, don't get petty. We've done an entire series about how to live against the elements, and one of the cautions we've said is you don't get into arguments, you don't pick fights about every silly little issue. We're not gonna get caught up. God is not Republican or Democrat, right? We're not, gonna, we're not gonna go, well, I'm standing my ground. No, 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 stop it. That's not what we're talking about here. This isn't about economics. This isn't about finances. This isn't about, you know, speeding or not. God didn't tell you to drive that fast, right? So you with me, right? This is about a moment when the law told him he wasn't allowed to pray and devote himself to God. And you know what he does? He immediately goes home and says, my life is not my own. My life is God's. I will honor God above honoring any worldly authority. And so there's moments when we say, which mountain am I gonna die on? 
When am I going to stand my ground? When do I walk home and open my windows and say, God, I'm going to seek your face? What, what I also find is interesting is his enemies knew that the only way to get him in trouble was to pass a law that would go contrary to his devotion to God. And he didn't fight the law. He just stayed faithful to God. And some of you, you're so caught up in fighting the law and arguing with the king that you're missing the point. My life isn't my own. I'm just gonna go home quietly and faithfully and keep worshiping God. And you know what's interesting when he prayed? Did you catch what he said? He thanked God. Can you actually imagine like listening into that room? He's in his bedroom and he opens the windows. God, thank you for loving me. This is going to cost me my life, but thank you that you created me. Thank you that you've given me breath in my lungs. Thank you for the life you've, you've given me. God, I consider it a privilege to serve you and to know you. What an honor to be able to worship the God who is above all gods, to serve the king who's above every king. God, thank you. I love you. And then he says, by the way, because it says, and then he asked for help. By the way, God, I, I'd appreciate your help. Um, kind of realize that I'm about to get the death penalty here. So, hey, I trust you. But if you want to rescue me, like, that would be really cool. You kind of get the point, though? He, rec he recognized my life is not my own. Now, here's another critical step. So what happened? How did the story turn around? Let's, let's jump back into Daniel chapter 6. And here we go. I think. Maybe. <laughs> At the first sight, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. Remember, the king is kind of a friend of his. So he comes running. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to rescue you from the lion's den? I love this king who doesn't even believe in his God, who has faith that his God can rescue him. Hey, look, this whole series has been about living, you know, against the elements. And when you live your life with integrity and honor and you're devoted to your God, people that don't even have faith in your God will begin to root for your God. When you live rightly with integrity and purity of heart, when you're not picking a fight about everything, when you're willing to die and you're willing to only break the law because of your devotion to God, you'll get the attention of the people that matter. You get the attention of people that are struggling with their own faith. And what this moment becomes is an opportunity for Daniel to be a bold witness of his faithfulness to God and point the glory to God. The king comes running. Daniel, are you alive? Was your God able to rescue you? I hope he rescued you. And then Daniel answered, right? I mean, this is like chilling. This is like hair on your arm stands up. And you're like, are you kidding me? May the king live forever. So he had no problem honoring the king. He gives him honor. He just wasn't going to pray to him. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done wrong before you, your majesty. And then he continues. Then the king Darius wrote, and, and this is such a powerful moment. Then king Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language and all the earth. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the, the living God and he endures forever. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. What would it take for a watching world that is strategizing your downfall, that wants to mock your God, 
that wants to steal your faith and maybe even throw you in a lion's den, what would it take for them to recognize your God is God? Your God is the true God who lives forever. Sometimes that's gonna require you going in the lion's den. And, then, and there's no promise that you're coming out. It's just a willingness to go in. And faith is not, gonna, it's not necessarily always going to rescue you out of the lion's den, but faith will certainly get you into it in these moments. And so the point is this. What was Daniel willing to do? Daniel was willing to give his life away. What I'm challenging you to do is when you recognize that your life is not about you, you're willing to give your life away. My responsibility is to give my life away. Daniel had died to himself before he was thrown in the lion's den. Well before he went up to pray, he had already recognized my life is not about me. My life is not my own. I have given my life away. And over and over and over, Darius, King Darius says, your God whom you serve continually. His enemy said, he, the only way to get this guy in trouble is if we get a law passed that forces him to choose between his own survival and honoring his God because he'll choose to honor his God and it'll cost him his life. Here's what happened. Because Daniel was devoted to serving God, he was promoted to serving a king. For some of you, you're not getting opportunities of influence with those around you because you're looking out for yourself. But when you yield your life to serving God alone, when you lay down your selfishness, when you lay down your demands for a promotion or for a bigger paycheck, when you lay down your demands for getting what you want and you say, God, my life is about you, I'm willing to give my life away, then God, what God will do is bring you into places where you serve kings and leaders, where you're promoted to a place where your devotion and faith in God gives you an opportunity to show others how powerful God is. And when those moments come, God will show up and show off. And your life is an opportunity for God to share his story. See, the, the goal is this. God doesn't want your life to be about you. It's not about your story. You're not the hero of the story. It's not about the plot that you want to write. God wants to be the plot. God wants to be the hero. But he wants, you to, he wants to use you as the pen. Are you willing to just simply be a pen? God, I give my life away. I told you a story about Easy Eddie. I want to tell you a different story. About tw 20 years later, um, during World War II, you know, there's a lot of heroes that came out of World War II. One particular guy was a, a, a man named Butch O'Hare. He was a, a Navy fighter pilot. And uh, on one particular mission, they were coming off an aircraft carrier. And uh, once, they, once his uh, squadron took off, they were in air several miles out. And he realized that somebody forgot to um, fill up his fuel tank. And there was no way that he'd be able to do the mission and get safely back to the carrier. So he, ra he radioed to his squadron leader and they said, no, no, you need to go back. Um, we'll, we'll do the mission without you. On his way back though, as he's flying, he sees a, a squadron of Japanese Zeros headed straight for uh, the aircraft carrier and the other ships that were totally defenseless because the planes were on mission. And so he has, you know, what does he do? It's just him against several bombers. And so he chooses just to give, he's just going to 
to dive in and he's just going to make a mess of this. And they have camera footage of this because even in World War II, they had a camera mounted to his wing. And, they, and there's actually video footage of him flying in straight at these zero, zero bombers. And he, he's got a 50 caliber uh, mounted to his wing and he's just shooting up these, these bombers. And he actually takes out one, then he goes after another. One single plane is going after these guys, uh, these, these uh, Japanese zeros. Uh, he, he runs out of ammunition. And so what he does is he just decides he's gonna clip their wings. So he, he's using his plane and he's attacking these other planes, trying to clip their wings, trying to knock their tails off. And finally he frustrates the rest of the zeros. He shot down five of them and uh, the rest of them got so frustrated they actually broke formation and just went back the way they had come. He, he, he gets his plane and he limps his plane back to the carrier, lands it, and you know, they were able to extract the video footage and see kind of the heroics of this guy. The first uh, Navy pilot to um, receive the Congressional Medal of Honor in World War II, and he got some other accolades. He became the first Navy ace in World War II. And, uh, and uh, sadly enough, though, with uh, about a year later, Butch O'Hare tragically died in another uh, fighting uh, mission. And, but the people of uh, Chicago didn't want anyone to forget about the heroics of Butch O'Hare. And so today, when you fly into Chicago, usually you fly into O'Hare Airport, it's named after uh, the Navy ace, Butch O'Hare. And um, I, I wanna connect the dots for you though. I said there's kind of some connections here. Uh, Butch O'Hare, we'll come back to him. Uh, remember Easy Eddie? the uh, lawyer for Al Capone, he, he decided that um, th this wasn't the way he wanted to be remembered. And so, and this wasn't the life he wanted to hand his son. And so he decided to uh, make things right. And so he actually went to the police and he said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give all the information. He literally turned over the records. He knew it would cost him his life. He turned over all the records. He gave them all the financials and that's actually what they used to charge Al Capone. They got him on tax fraud. and. Uh, and so um, Easy Eddie testifies in court. He gives all the records. And actually within that year, he was gunned down in a back alley by the mob. Cost him his life. And what do these two stories have in, have in common? Uh, Butch O'Hare was Easy Eddie's son. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That's, and I, I tell you that story because, you know, like, we can live selfishly driven by our own desire to survive. And maybe right now you're at that place, you're like, I don't want this to be my story. I don't want that to be the example I set. I don't want that to be the name that I go down with. And I'm willing to give my life away, even if it costs me everything, because I want to be a living example to others that this is not what life is about. That's what Daniel did. It was going to cost him everything. I want to, I want to land this. I want to challenge you. What, what do you want your life to be about? You? your survival, what you can get out of it. Can I challenge you that God has a greater purpose for your life? He sent his son to die in your place so that when you believe in Jesus by faith, his spirit enters into your spirit and transforms you so that you no longer live an all about me life. You begin to live a not about me life where I realize that my life is not my own and that my life is to be given away. How can you serve God by serving others and love God by loving others, even if it costs you everything? So here's what I want to do. I want to take a moment and just pray. Maybe you need to pray. and Maybe your prayer is, Jesus, I need to believe in you by faith. I need to surrender my life to you.
Maybe your prayer is, God, I've been making my life all about me, and I need to make it about you. Now, I want to take a moment and just pray over you. Would you join me? Jesus, thank you that you loved us so much that you came and you gave your life to us and for us. That you not only were buried, but you rose again from the dead. And in your resurrection, you conquered the power of sin. You conquered the power of death and you conquered our eternal judgment. We believe in you. We ask that you would not only forgive us, but that you would give us that new life where our life is not about me. But God, we're willing to say, my life is not my own, it's yours right now. God, for each person listening to this message, they're gonna say, God, my life is not my own. I give it to you. And now, God, we're willing to give our life away in service to you by serving others. As a church, may we be selfless. May we be surrendered. May we honor you and may others see our lives and say, your God is the true God that endures forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.